the 19th century, Alfred got up in his Scottish home, woke up and had a normal Scottish breakfast or traditional Scottish breakfast, which was kippers, eggs, and bacon. As he drank his coffee, he, t- he picked up his newspaper, opened it up, and discovered to his surprise that he was on the front page. As he read through the front page, he realized to his horror that it was his obituary. They had confused him with his brother who passed away in Eastern Asia. So they were writing his obituary. Albert had invented dynamite. And they had words describing Albert that he was mortified to see. Words like merchant of munitions or dealer of destruction or peddler of death. He read these words with horror and decided on that very day, made a decision to get into his carriage, travel to his office, and write a brand new will. A will describing how his money should be used after his death to promote peace, education, science. You might know of the award that's that's been given. It's been given for a long time now. It's called the Nobel Peace Prize. And Alfred did not want to be remembered by the destruction of his past, but by the peace that he would help to support in the future. There's something about death. There's something about knowing your final moments and how you will be remembered. There's something about that that recalibrates the way you think, how you perceive your future, how you uh, prioritize your life. There's something about that. We're in a brand new year. 2013 has a lot of hope and a lot of promise. I know that God has been so good to me in 2012. He's been better to me than I deserve. And I can't wait to see what God will do in 2013. But in New Year's is always a new time for us to be able to evaluate, investigate, check out, reflect on our own lives. Some of us have thoughts of renewal. You know what renewal is, right? It's continuing with good attitudes, good ideas, good plans, just going, you know what, I'm going to renew. I'm going to continue going in this right direction. Others of us have resolutions or we're resolving. And these uh, resolutions to stay away from bad habits, to eat less sweets and you know, go to the gym more and start being more active. It's, it's to get away from bad habits. And other, others of us are simply restarting. 
And those are the good habits that we once had that we're coming back to. Good habits that were once a part of our lives that we walked away from and are now coming back to. Now, we're starting a brand new series. And this is the perfect time for this series. And the name of this series is, is simply this. Why should I give you another year to live? Signed, God. And really, why should he? Like, if God burned a hole through the wall that you were living in to make sure that you definitely knew it was him, walk through that hole, ask you with an incredibly grave voice but loving eyes, why should I give you another year? What would your response be? Would it have anything to do with something other than yourself? Would no one else benefit from your life other than you? You know, I, 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 I deal with life and death situations all the time. As just this week, someone who had literally died, stopped, well, they stopped breathing uh, for a few minutes and they were, they were resuscitated back to life. So I deal with this all the time. This is a normal week for me. But I wonder if any of us ever think about how our lives are going to turn out. I wonder if we ever reflect long enough to understand that you and I are going to leave a legacy. We are. There's no denying it. You will either be remembered for the things that are quite regrettable or or there'll be a memory of you of things that brought about joy and goodness or perish the thought you will be completely and utterly forgotten 4 weeks after your grave is buried is filled and so it's with that that I want to introduce us into this new series why should I give you another year to live My hope, let me give you the answer to the question. By the end of the three weeks, my hope that your answer will be for your glory. Because quite frankly, my life is finite, but God's God's glory is not. God's glory goes on forever. You want to join God in God's most important task and his most important point in all of existence is not for your happiness, but his glory. And let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. You're never, never more happy than when you live for God's glory. In fact, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And so what we're doing in this series is simply looking at life at a different perspective. Because in fact, we all are going to die. We all have a death sentence. Every one of us has an expiration date. And while this is not fun to think about, it's important to because you need to start planning for that last day. And so uh, we're going to be looking at this. Now, there's a couple of obstacles 
that are going to prevent us from having our future be the very best it could be. One of the obstacles is our past. You know what I mean by our past? You know, we we sometimes look back and we go, you know what? Parents strike against us. Neighborhood strike against us. Family culture strike against us. We kind of go through life and we can look back in the past and see, oh dear, there's a lot of strikes against us. And God, I think, would have us to realize that while we are products of our past, we're not prisoners of our past. That while our past has brought us to where we are, our past does not have to bring us to where we need to be. We're going to be looking at a guy who had a rough past, went beyond that, and left an incredible legacy for his people. The guy's name is Hezekiah. Isn't that a cool name? Hezekiah. If I ever have another boy, I'm going to name him Hezekiah. It's a great... Hezekiah Colon. Isn't that great? It's fantastic. I should have named my son Hezekiah. Hezekiah is like the captain of the ship, right? It's like Hezekiah. Well, Hezekiah... Uh, Hezekiah was a guy with a bunch of strikes against him. Let me tell you a couple of things. Hezekiah was born into a royal family in in, Jeru- uh, uh, yeah, in Jerusalem. Uh, he was born thousands of years ago. His father had a reputation for evil. His father gave him an inheritance that could cripple him. I wonder if anybody identifies with that. I mean, I'm, I'm talking about The stuff that your father did didn't leave you with a present that made you more full and joyful and secure. But the presence of your father, or the lack thereof, actually left you with with insecurities and fears and, for some of us, scars that will never heal. You see, fathers have an incredible place in the lives of their children. And some of us were blessed by the fathers that we had. Hezekiah was not. Hezekiah had Ahaz. And Ahaz was addicted to evil. Ahaz was addicted to disobeying God. Ahaz was addicted to leaving his children worse off than his father had left him. He was addicted to it. And so some of us who have had fathers who have wounded us, fathers who have abandoned us, fathers who weren't there for us, can identify with Hezekiah's dad. With Hezekiah and his dad. We find that Hezekiah, while he had many obstacles to overcome, was able to leave a legacy. A legacy that was filled with rejoicing rather than regret. Because regret is something else, isn't it? Like, wow. Regret is a powerful emotion. Regret is usually tied with unchanging. There are things that you do and I've done in my life that I completely and utterly regret. Wish would have never happened. Right? I wish 
I wish the first time an alcoholic beverage was ever offered to me, I wish I would have said no. And I wish I would have kept on saying no to all the other. I wish that the day that uh, I was invited to play one day of hooky, one day of hooky, I wish I would have just gone to school. I'm smiling because it's... No, I won't do that. I was going to throw somebody under the bus, but I'm not going to do that. Listen. I wish, I wish that the first time somebody offered me a cigarette, I wish I would have... I wish I wasn't hanging around friends who offered me such things. There are certain things that we do and that have done that we regret. I wish that my wife was the only woman I'd ever seen naked. I wish that she was the only one I'd ever been with. I just, they're just regrets that we all have that you can't change. That you can't change. There's deep regrets that all of us have. You have yours, don't you? Right? You have things that have happened in your life, the experiences that you've had, moments that you lament. We all have regrets. The fact is, is that while we all have regrets, we don't have to live a regrettable life. That we don't have to live a life full of regrets. In fact, I want us to live a life that's not full of regrets, but full of rejoicing in the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who came to give us new life and new hope and new joy. Hezekiah, in his story, is going to teach us that. Life is for rejoicing in Christ, not for regrets. Now, I want to say something. There's a lot of people here who you're new to Christ. Man, you might have gotten clean five minutes ago or five days ago or five weeks ago. You're just, this is a new process. You were perhaps making some meetings. Someone invited you to this church. Listen to me. This is a great, great time for you. This is a wonderful opportunity for you to start over again. And you go, no, 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 no. But I, I've started over again and I keep on blowing it and I started over again and I keep on blowing it. And aren't you glad that you are pursuing a God who loves even through your foolish mistakes, even through your sin, even through your darkness? Because that's the God we serve. We served Christ Jesus, who is glorious and wonderful and forgiving and merciful and holy and good and righteous and sovereign and strong and able and powerful to get you through even the darkest moments of life. So we see, we find this man, Hezekiah, and we find him in his sickbed. And we find a phrase that a prophet says. Imagine this. In in the story, we find that the first thing that the prophet, the man of God, says to Isaiah, you know what the first thing he says? He says to Hezekiah this. You're going to die. Get your stuff in order. And just in case you misunderstood my last statement, you're not going to get better. That's his first response. Now, this is a godly man, Isaiah is, who hears from God and speaks for God. It's amazing. 
And that's the first words he hears. And we're going to find out Hezekiah's response, and not only his response, how God can lead us to have a different year and hopefully a different life than the one that we've had. So, would you stand with me as we read God's Word? We have a tradition in this church that we stand because God's Word is holy and powerful. And we're going to hear the, listen, we're going to hear the words of the King of the Universe. So, that's why we stand. Let's, let's read together. In, the days of Hezekiah, in those days, Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death. The prophet, Isaiah's, the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, went to him and said, This is what the Lord says. Put your house in order, because you're going to die. You will not recover. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord, Remember, Lord, how I have walked before you faithfully and wholehearted and with wholehearted devotion and have done what is good in your eyes. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Before Isaiah had left the middle court, the word of the Lord came to him. Go back and tell Hezekiah, the ruler of my people, this is what the, what the Lord, the God of your father, David, says. Now, this next line I want us all to read. Just this next sentence. Are you ready? One, two, three. I have heard your prayers and seen your tears. Stop. Some of you just need to hear that. Let that just sink in. These are the words of God. These are the words that are coming out of God's mouth. I have heard your prayers and seen your tears. Let's read that one more time together. One, two, three. I have heard your prayers and seen your tears. I will heal you. On the third day from now, you will go to the temple. Go up to the temple of the Lord. I will add 15 years to your life. And I will deliver you and the city from the hand of the king of Assyria. And I will defend the city for my sake and for the sake of my servant David. Then Isaiah said, prepare a poultice of figs. They did so and applied it to the boil, and he recovered. Look up at me. We're going to read, jump down to verse 20, and we're going to read at the end of the chapter what it says. Verse 20 says, as the other events of Hezekiah's reign, all his achievements and how he made the pool and the tunnel by which he brought water into the city, are they not written in the book of the annals of the king of Judah? May God bless the hearing and the reading of his word. You and I desperately need this message because one day we're going to die and we will either be remembered or not remembered. We'll be either remembered for good or bad or not remembered at all. But all of us have a final day and all of us want to leave a legacy that honors Jesus. Why? Why? Because God's glory is forever, but our lives here on earth are finite. In those days, Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death. The prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, went to him. This is what the Lord says. Could you imagine? This is the first sentence. You're on your deathbed. You think you're going to die. You're sick 
And nobody has much hope for you. And the man of God comes in, and you go, oh good, it's Isaiah. He speaks for the Lord. Maybe he'll say a prayer for me. Maybe he'll say something kind. Maybe he'll tell me what the Lord says, and I'll be up and at him in no time. Be swinging the golf uh, club in no time. The Lord says, put your house in order, because you're going to die. You will not recover. Here, let me be a prophet to you. Would you put your house in order? Because you're going to die. You are. And nobody likes to think about that. Like, who wants to think about that, right? I mean, did you? He was like, thanks, Pastor. I came to church just for that message. Appreciate it. No, really. Listen to me. I was joking around with my wife. You know, she uses these moisturizers and stuff like that. She goes, I love these moisturizers. And I just said, you know, because we all love denial. It's the reason. Listen to me. Listen to me. Your skin. Listen to me. Your skin is not just dry. You're dying. My hair is not just receding. I'm dying. Right? Now, I, no, believe me, I, I work hard for you not to think that my hair is receding. Right? I wear shoes with heels on them so you don't think I'm shrinking. I am. It's bad. I'm dying. It's not getting any better. My most powerful years are behind me. Hey, hey, get your house in order. You're going to die. And it's into that where we're going to give ourselves to in this series and hopefully in this year. We're going to give ourselves to this because it is inevitable. Listen to me. Listen, our lives are finite, but God's glory is forever. And so we want to live for something bigger than me, bigger than you, because everything else will pass away. Everything. You know, I had a Hezekiah moment last year. Uh, where I really thought I was going to die. I told you guys this story, so I won't belabor the whole deal. But I was, uh, there was a point where um, the house that I lived in was in the Atlantic Ocean for like five hours. I thought I was going to die. I literally wrote to my wife and gave her instructions about remarriage and how to, uh, you know, uh, uh, take care of my... No kidding. Uh, please, if you're going to remarry, I advise against it. But if you are... Uh, I'm kidding. I actually encouraged her. I actually encouraged her to remarry. I did. I said, I said, you know, please find a Christian man and blah, 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 blah. And I gave instructions to my kids and, and all that stuff. I gave instructions to the church. But I thought I was going to die. I literally put it in a school bag, zipped it up because I saw a show, Bear Gryllis, right? Man vs. Wild. That said that your school bag floats. Right? Did anybody know that? If you zip up your school bag, it floats for like a period of time. It's like waterproof for a period of time. You didn't know that. You see, thank you. You're welcome. You're right? You, you thought you weren't going to learn anything in church today, and there you are. Your school bag, in a pinch, will float. All right. There you go. You're all dismissed. Well, no, that has nothing to do with anything. But my point was, is that I actually thought I was going to die. And death has a way of recalibrating your thoughts and your priorities. Isaiah, uh, Hezekiah has this moment as Isaiah walks in the door and tells him he's not going to recover. Hezekiah has an interesting response. Listen to this. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall. This was no disrespect 
to the prophet. But quite frankly, sometimes we don't need pastors. We need, listen, we just need, you know, we don't need any go-betweens. We need to go to Jesus. Like, you know, I appreciate pastors. I appreciate ministers. I appreciate deacons and elders. I have the highest regard for them. I happen to be one of them. But sometimes you don't need to talk to a pastor. You need to, to listen, sometimes you don't need to send an email to your pastor, you need to send an email to Jesus and you need to get on your knees and cry out to God and ask him, Jesus, I need help. This, listen, this pain is greater than I can stand. These tears won't stop. This suffering is too long. This difficulty is too great. This foe is too unsurmountable. This, listen, God, Jesus, you better come. Don't send no angels. Come yourself because this is no time for boys. We've got a big problem. And so Hezekiah does what all Christians ought do. Turn to Christ in the time of trouble. And he prays a very powerful prayer. He says this in verse 3. Remember. Stop. When I'm in trouble and I'm speaking to God, the very last thing that I tell God when referring to me is remember. I don't want God to remember, quite frankly. I would like God to forget. There's a whole list of things that I would like God to forget. There are moments, there are whole seasons. Like, I would like for God to forget the 90s. Could God forget the 90s for me? That would be great. If God could forget, like, 89 to 90, you know, 2001, I'd be all right, right? That would be awesome, right? Hezekiah, Hezekiah starts his prayer. Why? Let me tell you something, and this is is a powerful thing. I mean, that that was goofy, but this is powerful, what I'm about to say. There's something about walking in purity. There's something about walking in faithfulness that makes you bold before God. There's something about living for Jesus. I'm not talking about perfect, right? I mean, like, right, none of us are perfect. We get that. You're, You're not perfect. But I'm talking about walking in the will of God, faithfully, dedicated wholeheartedly, there's something about the boldness of one's prayer, not because of my own righteousness, but because I know I'm walking in the will of God and I can rest in that. Hezekiah starts with remember. And if your prayer starts with forget, like me, then let me perhaps give you a more excellent way. Perhaps rather than living for your dreams, your desires, Rather than living for your will and the things that you want, rather than living for you getting satisfied and you receiving pleasure, rather than just having one more because it's, you can do it and it's your body and it's your whatever. Listen, rather than doing that, why don't, let me, let me recommend that you live a life where you could start your prayer with God saying, remember. Remember. Remember what you've done in my life. Remember how you've transformed my soul. Remember how you've opened my eyes to see the glory of Christ. Remember how you've saved me from my sin and guilt and gave me a new life. Remember how that sacrifice was not lost on me and I lived for your glory. Remember, remember. Remember, remember, Lord. And then he tells him three, three things. 
Remember. Do you see them? How I have walked before you faithfully and with wholehearted devotion have done what is good in your eyes. I have walked before you faithfully with wholehearted devotion and have done what is good in your eyes. Let's just, let's just pause for a second. Now remember, today's big idea is I want you to live for God's glory because God's glory is eternal while my life is finite. Remember, I walk before you faithfully, wholeheartedly, with wholehearted devotion, and did what is good in your eyes. Let's look at the first one. I've walked before you faithfully. Faithfully um, constitutes that which is consistent. Right? Who here wants a spouse who's consistent, not, not just like faithful on weekdays, but consistently faithful, right? Raise your hand if you want a spouse who's consistently faithful, right? For those of you who don't have your hands up, you're lying, right? Or you're not following what I'm saying. Are you kidding me, right? You don't want, you don't want a, a spouse that's faithful most of the time, right? Does anybody want a spouse who's faithful most of the time? Yes, you know, my wife, I want you faithful most of the time. Can you do 90%? No. I'm Puerto Rican. I want you a thousand and fifty thousand trillion times percent. I want you to be so stinking faithful. Faithful is a big deal. (laughs) Hezekiah says this. He says, I walk before you faithful. I've consistently, habitually, predictably, time and time again, obeyed your, your will. Listen to me. Obedience to God is not a hit or miss. It's not a, I mean, and for most of us, if you're like me, sometimes it can be, but it's not best if it's hit or miss. Obedience to God is best when it's faithfully. And even if you don't want faithful for yourself, you want faithful from your boss, don't you? You don't want him to look for your position to be filled while you're still working there from someone else, right? And even if you don't want faithfully for yourself, you want it for your kids, right? You want them to faithfully go to school and faithfully be honest and faithfully follow the Lord. And if you don't want faithfulness for yourself, you want it for your spouse. See, faithfulness is one of those things that we desperately want from everybody else, but very rarely look to, to see if we're actually living faithfully. Faithfully speaks of consistency, not perfection, but consistency. A consistency that says it is predictable what this person is going to do. Now, if you have a faithfulness in a a negative way, consistent in negative things, then this is good news for you. Because you can start this year going to Jesus, who is, by the way, the faithful one. And ask him for power to be faithful. Not because you are faithful, but because he's been faithful and he promised to live in you. So he can be himself through you, which is faithful, and live out faithfulness in you and through you for the benefit of others. God can do that even if you're not faithful. You can start right now walking in faithfulness, asking the king of faithfulness to be faithful in and through your life. Remember, I have walked before you faithfully and with wholehearted devotion. You ever have that person who keeps on calling you, who you struggle 
like whether you're going to erase the phone, the message, or you're going to actually pick it up, or you're going to, you ever have a situation like that, right? The, the problem is, is that your devotion is split, right? Your devotion is split. There's no wholehearted devotion. You go, oh my goodness, I know that this person is going to put my life on fire in a bad way. I know that they're going to destroy my life. I know that I've been, you know, we've tried this 15 times in six years. I know what's going to happen next. And then there's this, and sometimes you do and sometimes you do. Listen to me, listen to me. God is not like that. God is not like that. God wants us to walk, watch this, because God is good, because God is better than anything else. God is better than our sin. God is better than our brokenness. God is better than our weakness. God is better than that, 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 that darling uh, sin that we fall into. God is better than our, our, our stumblings. God is by far better. And because he's better, he wants you to have wholehearted devotion. That means your whole heart. He wants, God doesn't just want you. He wants all of you. God doesn't want you to tithe your heart. God wants all of us. And again, if you find yourself as a person who is double-minded, who is half-hearted, who is one foot in, one foot out, you can ask the one who gave his whole heart for you. You can go to him and say, God, give me, Jesus, give me your heart that I might have a whole heart towards you. None of this can be done on your own. In fact, trying to do it on your own is the very reason why Jesus came. He's he's against legalism. He's against you trying to do good for goodness sake. He says, I'll live in you. I'll live through you. I'll give you the power and the desire. I will be wholehearted through you if you receive me. It starts and ends and all in between is with Jesus working his miracle working life in us and through us to say no to the alcohol, to say no to the substance, to say no to the bad relationship, to say no to my sinful, selfish desires, to say no to the things that I do to hurt others because I'm so self-centered I, can, I can't see past my own nose. No. And at the same time, to say yes for his glory. Yes to joy. Yes to a fulfilled life. Yes to wholehearted servitude of our God. Yes to following, pursuing, loving, and enjoying Him. Yes to a purpose and a legacy that is far greater than my years. Yes. Wholeheartedness is found in Christ and so is faithfulness. Then he says, devotion. How I have walked walked before you faithfully and with a wholehearted devotion and have done what is good in your eyes. Now listen to me. College students, high school students, junior high students, listen to me. Come here. Listen, I I have something very important to you. Old people, young people, listen to me. This is a big deal. Every single cultural cue will lead you farther away from God. Listen to me. It's not me just saying this. There's a, 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 a guy, he's a Muslim guy. He's not, he's not a Christian. And, he's, and, and he doesn't make a distinction between American and Christian. In his world, American means Christian. Right? You have to, if you're American, now we know different, right? Right? You don't, you know, 
a lot of people say that they're Christian. A lot of people say that they're American. He said something. He wrote a book, but he said something, and I don't want you to get the book, but it's just, it was a very powerful line. He said, what kind of culture do you produce where you have to protect your kids from it? Imagine that. What an insight. What kind of culture is a good culture that has to protect its children from the culture? Right? Like, does, does anybody, does anybody want their, uh, you know, 10 or 9-year-old kids watching some of these Saw movies or watching MTV or, you know, or watching some of the things that are just polluting the minds or, 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 or what was it called? Um, uh, something, something auto. Grand Theft Auto. Right? Where kicking, where, where the characters are kicking women on the ground and calling them the B word. And like, who wants to, like, right? Like, who wants to, okay, you know what? I want to. I want to I want to grow my kid up to to think of women as pieces of meat and beat them down. I want to I want to prepare them and I want to do that to the degree where I want to spend 50 60 dollars of my hard-earned money and let them repeat this act over and over and over again. Who wants to do that, right? Like who wants to sign up their kids for that? And yet we do it in this culture all the time. Hezekiah in his culture has to say, I've done what is right. In your eyes. Because there's a right in the culture's eyes that's no big deal. I could give you a million different examples. Let me give you just a few. In our society, marriage is based, think about this, on how you feel. Are you kidding? You only have to be married for like five minutes to understand that you will not feel like you want to be in marriage every month, right? Right? I mean, all, all the married people say amen? Yeah. Heck yeah, right, yeah. And some of the men stood quiet because you're smart, right? And so, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But, okay. No, but the truth is, but that's culture. And the culture will tell you, think about this. The culture will tell you, are you happy? And then you go, yes or no. Then, by your answer, stay in the marriage. Is that madness? That's crazy. If you listen to me, you cannot have a lifelong commitment based on your feelings. You know why? Because I know you. And I know me. And my feelings, listen, my wife could cook rice and beans and fried chicken. And it's like the best day of my life. And then next month, she could cook rice and beans and fried chicken. And I'm as angry as all get out. You know why? Because I'm fickle. My emotions go up and down. The very thing that pleased me one day pisses me off the next. But watch this. This culture will tell you, oh, Mendito, you don't feel happy today? Upgrade. Get yourself a 2.0. Get yourself a little bit better. Do a little it's madness. It's madness. Let me give you a couple, another one. Right? Because we're talking about, listen to me. We're talking about, we're talking about, let's stick with marriage for a second. The culture says, listen to me. The culture says, you cannot get married unless, guys, listen to it, unless you tried out the goods. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta. Listen. You wouldn't buy a pair of shoes unless you tried them on first, right? You wouldn't buy a cow unless you tasted the milk, would you? 
Listen. That would be okay if your spouse was a pair of shoes or a cow. But I'm telling you, it's death. It's death. Because here's what happens. Here's what happens, right? And I was explaining this to someone else, but I'll do this really fast for you, okay? What happens is, by the way, anybody here ever struggle with jealousy? Just put your hand up slightly high. Okay, okay, right. Anybody here? Okay, watch this. Okay, watch this, right. All jealousy, all jealousy, the root of all jealousy is promiscuity. Absolutely. The root of all your jealousies is promiscuity. Here's the, here's the rule. Here's, here's how it goes, okay? Let me see if I can explain it to you. Now, remember, we're talking about how Hezekiah prayed, and he said he did what was good in God's eyes. Didn't do what was good in culture's eyes. Didn't do what was good on TV's eyes. Didn't do what was good in the Internet's eyes. Because let me tell you something. When you come to church, isn't it like a different universe? Where do you ever hear what I'm about to say? Where? In fact, if you share this sermon with someone else, they go, boy, that guy is crazy. And listen to me. Because I'm talking to you about what's good in God's eyes. And it's much easier to imagine that a God that doesn't exist or imagine yourself as God rather than submitting yourself to a holy, perfect, and pure God. But here's, here's how it is, right? So, so all jealousies can be, all jealousies, everyone could be linked back to promiscuity. Here's what happens, right? So what happens is, is you meet Miss Wonderful, right? Or Mr. Right. Right? So you meet them, and, and you, you, you're with each other, and the second week, right? How long does it take? I don't know. I've been out of the game for a minute. Don't tell me. But it's been a while, right? So the second week, right? So the second week, you do terrible things that you can't possibly confess. In fact, you skip Sunday because you feel so guilty about it. And so, which blows my mind considering the forgiveness and grace that Jesus gives. But that's another sermon, so I'll speak about this. So what happens is second week, right? And you know what? It's like awesome. It's like she's a firecracker. It's like he's a thunderbolt. It's like wonderful. Wow. Never knew. Never knew. It was awesome, right? Fantastic. Filet mignon. Okay. So what happens is follow me. Follow me. Don't get lost. (laughs) What happens is, what happens is, eight years later, eight years later, even filet mignon gets tired. And you're no longer connecting the way you used to. And it's been two weeks. And now, you see that your spouse is hanging out with their co-worker, who happens to be of the opposite sex. And you have no history to prove them as faithful. Because you think to yourself, well, if with me, they couldn't contain themselves for two weeks, how could I trust them? with anyone else. See, your jealousy is connected to promiscuity. Let me tell you, I don't want, I'm not going to, and I didn't ask, so I'm not going to, but there's a, there's, a, there's a guy in this church, there's a guy in this church who never has to worry about his wife. Never. And it's not like he came into the deal as a, a virgin. His wife, crazy about him. Loves him to death. Was totally attracted to him held herself in purity. Never has to work. Because he goes, well, even if she's attracted to someone else, when she was crazy about me, when I had the, you know, when I was beautiful and I was thin and I was all that other stuff and we were young and she was less mature, when, when she was crazy about me, she restrained and held herself. And because she was faithful to God, I know that she'll be faithful to me. 
Does that make sense? I'm not talking about... So, there's a cultural... Now, there's a bunch of us, right? And uh, Not everybody's clapping. I get it. I get it. I'll clap for myself. But watch this. But watch this. Listen to me. Listen to me. All of your, all of your jealousies are connected. But watch this. That's being right in society or culture's eyes. I, Hezekiah said, right in your eyes. Not what I feel like, not what is culturally acceptable, not what is okay. Listen to me. What is right in your eyes. I could go on and on and on about what the culture says versus what God says and how divorced they are from one another. But I want you to know that if you want to do what is right in God's eyes, you have to go to the one who did everything perfect in the Father's eyes. He was God himself who came and lived the life that you should have lived but did not and died the death that you deserve to die but don't have to. Atoned for your sin with his blood for you and promised to live in you and do the very same thing that he did on that cross, do in you. Defeat sin and defeat death and overcome temptation and power through in your life. If you want to live for what is right in God's eyes as opposed to what's right in your eyes or society's eyes, you have to ask Jesus, Jesus, would you give me, Jesus, would you make me faithful? Jesus, would you give me a whole heart? Jesus, would you help me to do what is right in your eyes and not in mine? Why am, I, why am I sharing this with you? Why did I pause on that verse 3 for so long? Because listen to me, I want you to live for something that's bigger than you. Because life is finite, but God's glory is forever. Because your life will end, but God's glory will not God is glorious. I want you to leave a legacy that resembles his glory. Verse 4. Before Isaiah had left the middle court, the word of the Lord came to him. Go back and tell Hezekiah, the ruler of my people. This is what the Lord, the God of your father, David, says. I have heard your prayer and seen your tears stop. God tells Hezekiah, uh, Isaiah, to tell Hezekiah, give him a different message. This first statement of the message, I, I almost wanted to do a series of it uh, on suffering. It's just, it's so awesome. But some of you, this is all you need to hear. Right now, your relationships, listen to me, your relationships are on the rocks. Your life is a mess. Listen to me. You have a habit that you can't even confess, but you know it's trouble. You have issues in your life that you're not willing even to verbalize to say that you have an issue with, but you know is an issue in your life. You have a suspicion that there are difficulties in your circumstance, that life is not going as you prayed, that there are things and circumstances and pains and tears and sufferings that are going on that you have no way of dealing with. And sometimes all you have is to go to God and pray and to hear God's words say, listen, 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 wife who wants to give up, I want to talk to you. God is speaking to you right now. He said, listen, 
I've heard your prayers. I've seen your tears. Mama, Papa, I know you're worried about your kids. Listen to me. I have a word from you from Jesus. I've heard your prayers. I've seen your tears. Husband, I know it doesn't look well. I know it looks bad. Listen to me. I have a word from Jesus for you. I've heard your prayers. I've seen your tears. Poverty-stricken person, person who's on the edge and doesn't know where they're going to go financially. Listen to me. Listen to me. There's a word from Jesus, and it's this. I want to breathe it into your life. The Father said, I've heard your prayers and seen your tears. Sick person who's hurting every minute of every day, who's going through physical trial and physical ailment. Listen to me. Listen to me. There's a word from God for you today. I have heard your prayers and seen your tears. For some of us, it's enough. I've been a pastor for some time now. And I know the power of that statement. I used to get nervous going to hospitals and the like because I wouldn't know what to say to people. Should I quote scripture, which I think is a valid thing to do in appropriate times? Should I just, you know, uh, hug them? Should I speak kind words to them? Should I say platitudes? What should I do? I don't know. I realized that just my presence was a comfort. Isn't it true when you go through your darkest times, just having someone next to you, like, you don't, listen to me, you don't, have to be, you don't have to have a whole lot of good conversation. When we're walking through a dark alley, it's just good to know you're next to me. And if you're in the dark alley of life, if pain is great, if tears are many, if pleasure is few, if suffering is long, if difficulty seems to go on and on, if there's no hope, it seems like, in your situation, I want you to hear I want you to hear the soft, sandaled feet of Jesus walking up and down the hallways of your soul saying, I ain't going anywhere. I'm with you. And listen, I hear your prayers. I see your tears. Before Isaiah had left the middle court and the Lord, go back and tell him, Hezekiah, the ruler of my people, this is the Lord this is what the Lord your God and Father says. Father, uh, God of your father David says, I have heard your prayer and seen your tears. I will heal you. Isn't that good news? I will heal you. Okay, let me just, just quickly, I didn't tell this to the 9 o'clock service, but I want to tell it to you. Do you know that every single Christian, every single Christian, without exception, Christ follower, blood washed, redeemed by the King, every single Christian gets their healing. Did you know that? Without exception. With zero exceptions. 100% of the time. 100%. Listen to me. This is, this is important for you to understand. Our lives are lived but a hand breath and then there's eternity. Let me tell you something. Sometimes we get our healing on this side of the street and sometimes we get it in eternity. But we always get our healings. There is a promise of heaven for everyone who believes. And if you, even if you, listen to me, even if you're broken, even if you're hurting, even if you're wounded, even if you're suffering, ever, listen to me, your, your emotions get healed. 
every time. You know the thing that you keep on going back to and you can't figure out why you keep on going back to it and you wish you couldn't go back to it, but you're going to go back to it and you go, oh man, God, I don't want to go back to it. But you keep on going back to it. God says, one day you won't go back to it. One day you'll be so satisfied. You'll have no desire for that thing. But you go, God, I'm struggling now. He goes, I'm struggling with you. Don't you remember what I just said? I heard your prayers. I see your tears. That there's While your marriage is struggling, there'll be a time when all relationship strife will cease and all pain and all suffering and all difficulty. You might be suffering now, but you won't be suffering forever. You might be sick now, but you won't be sick forever. Your relationships might be bad now, but they won't be bad forever. Because for the Christian, always, every time, without exception, there's a healing. And sometimes it happens right now. I will heal you. On the third day, from now, you will go up to the temple of the Lord. Isn't that cool? Here's your reward. I'm going to heal you, and in three days, you get to go to church. How cool is that? Huh? Is that all right? I don't mind that to you. Some of y'all, that's not such a good idea, but, you know, right? That's all right, isn't it? Listen, the the reward for the healing that I'm going to give, you're going to get to spend time with God's people and focus on God's word. Oh, that's good news. Verse 6, I will add 15 years to your life and I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria. I will defend this city for my sake and for the sake of my servant David. Now I want you to just see this. Remember Hezekiah's reasons for asking God to heal him? Do you remember that? Hezekiah said, I've walked before you faithfully. I've lived wholeheartedly and I've done what is good in your sight. Do you remember those three things? God cites none of them. God cites none of them as his reason for healing Hezekiah. Because while my faithful walk and my wholehearted devotion and my uh, uh, walk uh, doing good, doing what is good in God's sight, while that is wonderful and I want you to live that way and I want to live that way, we are not healed because of our righteousness. We're healed because of his. We're not saved because of our righteousness. We're saved because of his. You thought that the way to get to heaven was to be good enough. God goes, no, 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 no. I'm doing this for my glory's sake. You get all the benefit. I get all the glory. I don't want you to tithe your glory to God. God says, I'm going to get every bit of it. Every bit of it. I will defend this city for my sake. Let me tell you something. God is about the greatest. God is focused on the greatest thing in, in the universe. You know what the greatest thing in this universe? It's God's glory. And you are no fool if you partner with God to help him do that which is glorious. His glory. His glory. Not yours. Good night. Not yours. Remember? You're finite. His glory is forever. Now, I want you to jump down and see verse 20. We don't have time to dissect 8 through 11. Verse 20 says this, As for the other events in Hezekiah's reign, all his achievements, and how he made the pool and the tunnel by which he brought water into the city, are they not written in the book and the annals of the kings of Judah? Okay, look at me. Look at me. This is big. Hezekiah, I've got to give you a little history for you to understand how important that phrase is. Okay? And this is the phrase that I want you to understand. Do you see it? It's right there. Uh, it says, All his achievements and how he made the pool and the tunnel by which he brought the water into the city. Do you see that? Okay. This is incredibly important. Why does he even mention that? 
It's talking, it's giving sort of Hezekiah's obituary. The last two verses or so in the chapter is giving Hezekiah's obituary. Why? Why? Because Hezekiah decided that he was going to live for God's glory, not him, not himself. He realized that God said, I'm going to give you 15 more years. Now, how many years do you have? I don't know. 50, 100, 10, 2, 1. We're all, we're all going to pass away. But Hezekiah decided that for the rest of his 15 years, no matter how much life he had, whether it was 15 or 50, he was going to do something significant, something that was going to bring pleasure, glory to God, and joy to the nations. Here's what happened. So Hezekiah, now I have to sort of rewind a little bit, okay? So here's a little bit of history. I don't want you to lose you. This is really, really important. Really, really important. So what happens is there's an army against Hezekiah's kingdom. They're called the Assyrians. Somebody say Assyrians. The Assyrians are bad to the bone. They're like sons of anarchy times ten, right? It's a bad deal, right? So the, so the Assyrians are threatening Hezekiah. And they're threatening his, his kingdom. And what Hezekiah, uh, uh, Sennacherib, don't say Sennacherib. It's a, it's a tough word to say. Sennacherib um, is the king of Assyria. He sends his vassals, his messengers, over to speak to Hezekiah. Now, just outside of the wall of Jerusalem, there's a pool of water. This pool of water, the, the city relies on the pool of water. They rely on it for refreshment. They rely on it for life. They rely on it to, to really to live. Okay, so what happens? The, the messengers of Sennacherib from Assyria comes and stands right next to to the pool just outside their walls and tells them how they're going to drink their own urine and eat their own dung and how Sennacherib and the Assyrian army is going to destroy these walls. They're going to have no chance against, against the Assyrian army. Hezekiah, who was not there at the wall, receives the, the threat because it was a written threat. You know, they, they, that's how they did it. They read it out. And thus says the king, Sennacherib, you will eat your own dung. And, da, da, da. and he does it by the pool. Now, watch this. He knew what they were saying when they stood, when they said that by that pool. He knew that Sennacherib was sending him a message that you mess with me, I'll cut off your water supply. I'll cut off your water supply. You won't be able to drink. Your animals won't be able to drink. You won't be able to uh, 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 water your, your, your vineyards and things like that. You're going to die. This is going to be a short war. You think that you could stay behind that wall? I will position men around this pool. You'll die of thirst. This is going to be a short war. Uh, Hezekiah hears this. Now, remember, this is long before he gets sick. He hears this and he spreads it out. He gets the message and he goes to the temple and he spreads it out before the Lord. Not a bad idea. Not a bad idea. For, uh, if you're facing something terrible, it's, man, it's a wayward kid or something like that. Sometimes I just open my journal and I've just finished praying for people. And I just spread it out before the Lord. I go, God, this is too great. You've got to do this. You've got to do it. So he spread out this prayer before God and he said, God. You've got to help us. God said he would. And I think that the, God, and this is not in the Bible. Now I'm just kind of guessing what happened. I'm guessing that in that prayer, God put in his heart that he did not, that no one would ever be able to threaten him by the pool again. This ain't ever going to happen again. 
Nobody is ever going to have the upper hand on my kingdom like that, threatening my people like that again. So Hezekiah gets sick. Isaiah comes. We experience what we just heard, right? Isaiah, you know what he does with the rest of his, uh, with the, you know, one of the, one of the major projects that he does with the remaining 15 years of his life? He digs a tunnel. Like, listen, before explosives, before jackhammers, through solid rock for 1,500 years, uh, 1,500 feet, 1,500 feet, so that it goes, the water goes underground and goes right into the city, and so that his people could get refreshed, and their lives could be spared, and their joys could be renewed. We have an image of it. It's still around today. This is Hezekiah's. This is Hezekiah's stream as well. Isn't that incredible? Today you can go see it. See, Hezekiah's legacy was one that made his nation glad. Now I want to tell you about another king who knew that there was a people who were threatened for their life and he gave them a well, but not a well like this, he gave them a spring, sprung from his blood, sacrificed for their sins. And the enemy was not Sennacherib and the Assyrians. The enemy was sin and death, the flesh and the world. And Jesus said, I will in the city of your soul create an ocean of forgiveness, an ocean of strength, an ocean of renewal, an ocean of life. I will give it to you and it'll be for your life. But the question then becomes, what are we going to do with Jesus' great gift? What are we going to do with Jesus' great gift? So this week, what I want you to do is I want you to pray every day, being very sensitive to God's will. God, what's your will? Today, what's your purpose for today? I'm waking up. I want to know what your purpose is. I want to know what your will is. I want to do it on a micro level, day by day, but I also want to do it on a macro level. You know, cutting through some rock maybe and creating a, 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 a well where other people could get refreshed by my life. I want you to do that through me because we all have a finite amount of time because while God's glory is forever, our lives are finite now, I, I, I'm going to read to you a story, uh, and then I'm going to close. And it's the story about the brevity of life, right? Because life is brief. And so um, it's it, it, a story that I saw uh, years ago um, on the Internet, and I'll just read it to you. And it, I think it speaks for itself. The older I get, the more I enjoy Saturday mornings. Perhaps it's the quiet solitude that comes with being first to rise. Or maybe it's the unbounded joy of not having to be at work. Either way, the first few hours of Saturday morning are most enjoyable. A few weeks ago, I was shuffling toward the basement shack with a steaming cup of coffee in one hand and the morning paper in the other. What began as a typical Saturday morning turned into one of those life lessons that life seems to throw at you from time to time. Time to time. Let me tell you about it. I turned the dial up on. T- I turned the dial up into the phone portion of the band on my ham radio. Those are uh, CB radios, right? For those of you who are too young to remember, right? Okay. Along the way, I came across an older-sounding chap with a tremendous signal. 
and a golden voice. You know the kind. He sounded like he should be in, broadca- in the broadcasting business. He was telling whomever he was talking with something about a thousand marbles. I was intrigued and I stopped to listen to what he had to say. Well, Tom, it sure sounds like you're busy with your job. I'm sure they pay well, but it's a shame you have to be away from your home and your family so much. Hard to believe a young fella should have to work 60 or 70 hours a week to make ends meet. Too bad you missed your daughter's dance recital, he continued. Let me tell you something, Tom. Something that has helped me keep a good perspective on my own priorities. And that's when he began to explain his theory of a thousand marbles. You see, I sat one day and did a little arithmetic. The average person lives about 75 years. I know some live more and some live less, but on average folks live about 75 years. Now, I multiplied 75 times 52, and I came up with the number 3,900, which is the number of Saturdays that the average person in their entire lifetime. Now, stick with me, Tom. I'm getting to the important part. It took me until I was 55 years old to think about this in any kind of detail. And by the time I had lived through over 28 Hundred Saturdays, I got to thinking that if I live to be 75, I only have about a thousand of them left to enjoy. So I went to a toy store and bought every single marble they had. I ended up having to visit three toy stores to round up a thousand marbles. I took them home and put them inside a large clear plastic container right here in the sack next to my gear. Every Saturday since then, I have taken one marble out and thrown it away. I found that by watching the marbles diminish, I focus more on the really important things in life. There is nothing like watching your time here on this earth run out to help you get priorities, to help you get your priorities straight. Now, let me tell you one last thing before I sign off with you and take my lovely wife out for breakfast. This morning, I took the very last marble out of the container. I figured that if I make it until next Saturday, then I have been given a little extra time. And one thing we can all use is a little more time. It was nice to meet you, Tom. I hope you spend more time with your family, and I hope you meet to meet you here again on the band. Over and out. You could have heard a pin drop on that band. When this fellow signed off, I guess he gave us a lot to think about. I planned to work on the antenna that morning, and then I was going to meet up with a few hams to work on the next club newsletter. Instead, I went upstairs, woke up my wife with a kiss. Come on, honey. I'm taking you and the kids to breakfast. What brought this on? She asked with a smile. Oh, nothing special. It's just been a long time since we spent Saturday together with the kids. Hey, can we stop at a toy store while we're out? I need to buy some marbles. You're given a very brief period of time. And since your time is so brief, 
I don't want you to start 2013 the way you started 2012 and 2085, I mean 1985 and all the other years of your life. Listen to me. Listen to me. I want you to start with a bigger vision. And so for the next three weeks, we're going to be focusing on this. Helping you redesign, recalibrate your life to live for God's glory, which goes on forever, rather than my life, which is finite. Don't miss a week. We're going to teach you. We're going to cajole you and encourage you on what to do with the marbles you have left. Let's pray. Father, it's so easy for us to forget that we have an expiration date on our lives. It's so easy for us to forget that you, O oh God, are glorious. And that while our lives are finite, your glory goes on forever. Help us to live each day for your glory. For that's where the soul of our joy is. Remind us, oh God, when we get caught up in the petty, when we get caught up with things that don't matter, when life seems to not be fair and difficult and we want to sin and move towards things that don't give you glory and fame. Remind us, oh God, that life is short. Your glory is forever. And that lives that are best lived are lived for your glory. Give us a heart to live for you, O oh God. Help us to make it back for the rest of this series so we could learn how to answer the question, why should I give you another year to live? God, my prayer is that each of us would have this year to answer that question in our lives with your glory. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.